Hey, imagine with me, um, for those of you maybe who haven't had this experience, or those of you that have, uh, imagine um, the proposal. You know, wedding proposal. I'm kind of in that season. My son just got married. He's going to be turning 37 here in a couple weeks. His, uh, his new bride and my new daughter-in-law, she had just turned 40. Neither one of them had ever been married. There was a lot of anxiety in our home, but we're happy now. And actually, he invited us. We got to be there when he proposed, so it was really fun. But anyhow, imagine uh, this proposal when perhaps you proposed or you thought about it. You know, you've fallen in love, and you start scheming, you know, how am I going to do this? And you try to make it special, and you know, whatever the moment is in a restaurant or out in the woods, whatever it is. And, you know, you, if you're the male, usually, you know, you would get on your knee and you would say to your beloved, will you marry me? And your beloved is, you know, all excited. Maybe a little tear comes to her eyes and she says, oh, yes. And you ask, do you, do you love me? Yes. Will you spend the rest of your life with me? Yes. Or she might say, will you marry me? Probably. Do you love me? Probably. Do you intend to spend the rest of your life with me? Yeah, probably. You know, you, you wonder, like, if she said that, you go back to your friends, they all knew this was coming, and they say, what did she say? She kind of said yes. You, you wouldn't have, oh, shall we say, the confidence if you heard a probably. Okay, here's, here's the big swing towards what will be our spiritual conversation. You see, if in your heart, when you are confronted with this idea, does God love me? I think a lot of folks might say, probably. Well, we would all pass the basic theological Test. Question one, does God love you? Yes. Little parenthesis. Probably. I, I, I can't in my own life in a single moment do away with that. Honestly, I like, I like a, a, an idea of spirituality which for most of us in our existence has those realities. I don't like, I don't like trying to fake my way through something. I understand sort of making a proclamation of what is true from God's perspective. I have no problem. But I have a problem sometimes with how do I respond with some integrity. There's a passage that has, um, well, it's somewhat popular, I don't know what the word is, well-known to those that are his. 
I'm just going to read it. I'm going to read it a little out of context in terms of its media context, but I'll, I'll talk about it because I think the context of this is really large in the whole chapter of this, of this letter we're going to look at, which is Romans, and it is in chapter 8. And the familiar passage is Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. While it's true that when we remember and rehearse all those moments, that every once in a while when a crisis, a heartache, of course we wonder, does God love us? As best we can, let's see if we can put to rest a few of our problems. I do want to say one thing about this passage. And it's, it is part of how our culture tends to read the Scripture. And we tend to read the Scripture, and we've heard it, as God's letter to me. And there's some truth to that. But as people first heard this letter, I think in that culture they would have had a different experience. I think they would have had this thought, God is writing that to us. This is our promise. You take the Super Bowl, for instance. You're, I'm not a big sports guy, but let's, we all are familiar, I suppose, with the Super Bowl. If you're watching from a, another country, uh, it, well, I don't know what to tell you about it. It's just insane. Like, the whole world in, in America stops to watch a football game to see who will be crowned the champion. And there are, you know, 12 guys on the field facing other, 12 other guys, and approximately 20 guys will be playing. I can't remember exactly, but I think an NFL team carries 54 players. There will be players who will have never in that entire year ever once stepped on the field. But if they win the Super Bowl, if their team wins the Super Bowl, everybody gets the same ring. You see, it's not just, it's not really about them. They didn't win, but they collectively did. Sometimes it is helpful to remember that, that while things may happen to us individually, we, the community, we win. Let me move on to see if in this letter, how will he, in a sense, prove that things work together? So down in 31, after he said some other marvelous things that are true, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And now the Apostle Paul is going to use the word, he's going to say, who, four times. And each of these who's, he's personifying an experience, which might, if taken without uh, additional information, could convince you that God does not work for your good and that God is not in your favor and God does not, in fact, really, really love you. He only loves you 
probably, conditionally, if you can perform to a certain level. Will you marry me? Probably. If you do these things. Do you love me? Probably. If you do these things. How many of us have thought that God's love for us, small as the doubt may be, is dependent on us. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies Who then is the one who condemns? No one, Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him, who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we answered these three questions of who, I think we can perhaps begin to remember that God does love us. I had been a Christian, had given my life to Christ in a marvelous moment about four weeks before this experience happened. I had um, come to Jesus not because I had a ton of theological awakening, but I was extremely lonely. And I was in a home where I wasn't safe and I was always on edge. And I was told about this Jesus who would love me, forgive me, and who wanted me. Pretty good deal. And so I began to trust him. I did trust him. One of the things that happened in that early experience was I talked to God all the time. Because I experienced that I wasn't lonely in the same way. I had somebody who would listen to me. I had a father I could trust. And so that was my experience. And I was at... um, I was a, I'm a baby boomer, and the population of school, we exceeded the parameters. I went to Pomona High School, just north of here, and we had to split the schedule. So some kids had to go in the morning, some had to go in the afternoon. I was in the afternoon group, and then after daylight savings time had ended, I got on the bus in the dark. And I remember I had a period 
that was empty. I had a, a, a study period at the end of the day, so I had to wait an entire period before everybody got on the bus and we'd go home. All right, so I'm sitting there, and I'm praying. And I'm talking to God, and I'm kind of just... It's so funny, I did, there was nothing formal, and I didn't have to have any agenda. I just, we're talking about my day and going home. And so on my bus, there was this experience, which was that we went around through the suburbs there in Arvada, and we picked up all the kids, you know, piles of kids. And then the last pickup, we stopped at this home, which was unlike all the other homes in Arvada, which were these sort of middle-class neighborhood homes. And it was this home that was um, in deep disrepair you would look at it and you would assume, probably rightly, that these people were poor. And there was a girl who would get on the bus. She was heavy. She did not have nice clothes. And when she got on the bus, she would be tormented until she could somehow find a seat, somebody that would be willing to move over and just let her sit. But it was cruel. And the reverse was true as we went home because then she became the first person who's dropped off and all by herself, once again, she had to go through this gauntlet of torture. I never really thought much about it except this day that I was on the bus. I now was talking to God and I began thinking and I thought about Janine. And I prayed this prayer. I remember it like yesterday. Lord, I'm so grateful I'm not so lonely. And I used to be sort of feeling like Janine. I know what that feels like, being the object of disdain. And I said, Lord, what, I don't know if she knows you or has you, but I got you. So whatever they would do to her today, would you let them do it to me? And so we went home. Janine got off. I was the very next stop. Bunch of kids get off. I'm walking home, it's dark, and I'm, you know, I felt something. And I discovered that on the ride home, somebody had spit a big old loogie in the back of my head. It was one of the happiest moments in my life. That this little insecure kid, who nobody really liked, could be heard by God, and he would do this for me. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? God is for us, who can be against us? Now he's in my team, he's, he listens to me. But here, here's one that's a little more difficult. Who will bring a charge against God's people? Who's gonna accuse God's people? Well, how dare them, but, well, that just doesn't change any reality. Because here's the reality. Anybody, anything, anyone can accuse you. Anybody can make an accusation. Even in our legal system, you can bring a suit against anybody for any reason you think deem it. Well, that doesn't mean it's going to go anywhere. It doesn't mean you're going to get anything, but you can do it. 
I, I was in a season of my life, the most difficult for sure, and I was the object for the first time of sort of a concentrated accusations. The three that hurt the most were this. You do not love people, you love rules. You're a pastor because you love power. And you are a hypocrite. What do we say to these charges? Well, I, I, I could defend myself, which I have done and did, and continue to do, even though nobody's around me that made those accusations. But I go over them quite a bit. And you should see my defense attorney's arguments. Oh, it's, it's airtight. Here's the only problem. They're all kind of true. I mean, I could live in the fantasy that none of this is true. Now, did, was it said to hurt me? I think that's maybe possible. I'll go back over them. You don't really love people, you love rules. Well, it may not be extreme like they said, but did you know that every person's bent spiritually is towards just conforming to a list of rules, something we can check off and therefore prove to God that we are worthy of his love. Love is way too dangerous. Love is just, who can control love? Who, who, can, who can sort of orchestrate how that's going to work? Does God love me? Yes, probably, because if I can keep my checklist, why wouldn't he? But if I don't keep the checklist, why would he love me? You're a pastor because you love power. I got to tell you, there's something about when people are in crisis, they turn to you. When somebody's at the hospital, they want you to come. They feel comforted by your presence, by your enormous spirituality. You are a hypocrite. This one gets used quite a bit in our world. And the reality is of any person who has, who has decided and, and made public that they are a follower of Jesus, is subject to being a hypocrite. I mean, I've said, I follow Jesus. He is perfect and he is God. It would not take you a half a day to follow me around and go, you're not living up to that, dude. You're falling way short. What do I say? It is God who justifies. That's the next sentence. I will never be able to justify it. But it is God. Who then is the one who condemns? 
Who's the one that will bring action and consequence to my falling short? To my attempt to keep the checklist, but I'm not doing very good at that. Who's going to bring this consequence? Who then condemns? It's interesting. This is his response. Who then has the power to consequence me? Who has the power to condemn? No one. And here's why. Because Christ Jesus who died, and more than that, who was raised to life to prove everything, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Now, I've, I've quoted that, I've listened to that, I've prayed that, memorized that. Only problem is I never stop to think, what does that mean? Like, what is God hearing from Jesus? Like, what is Jesus whispering in God's ear? I think it's something like this, and I, I could be wrong, I think it's something like this. Blame me. I think Jesus is reminding the Father, not that he forgot, but it is part of this dance of love and beauty. Remember when I said I would take it all? We made that agreement. We all agreed. Me, you, the Spirit, however that looks, we, we agreed. I would take on myself and the cross all of it. I wouldn't just take the technical sin and leave the consequence to them. The eternal consequence. I wouldn't do it just metaphorically. But I will be in their place. Is there shame with sin? I, I guess there is. But it's not for me to bear. Because Jesus is whispering in the in the ear of the Father. Blame me. Now you may be thinking, well that's kind of what they call that cheap grace. I mean, do you think you can just go do anything? Do you think you can just do anything and, and, and Jesus is going to say, well blame me. It's, I, I will take the responsibility for the consequence of that. That sounds ridiculous. I heard a pastor once say, if you're not tempted to abuse grace, you may not understand it. I think that's true. Here's the, here's the reality. The answer is yes. Now, is it in your best interest? No. Is it a good idea? No. But could you? Yes. I think maybe I've shared this with you. I have one of my dearest friends, one of the most compassionate, gentle pastors I have ever known, 70 years old, been a pastor his whole life, is at the end of a 10-year federal prison sentence. And to watch him not wallow in the self-pity of shame, but fully embrace the grace of God. To own with responsibility certainly what he did. But he has had maybe the best season of ministry in his life. Because if all he could do was wallow around in this false belief that it was his consequence to bear in terms of shame, that shame would somehow make it all work out evenly. But he hasn't done that. 
And he has been a very safe and effective listener to men who have really suffered and caused suffering. All right. I'm trying to erase the probablys. I'm trying to prove to me that he does love me. And here's the last one. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Answer in your head, not out loud. If any of this list I'm about to read, I believe there are seven, are applicable to you. If this is true in your life or possibly true in your life, just click off a yes. Is it possible that in this life you will have trouble? Is it possible you will have hardship? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? I think nakedness, by the way, is, is perhaps a physical nakedness as what Jesus experienced on the cross, stripped of all clothing, but it's also sort of a public humiliation. The purpose of nakedness is public humiliation. Is it possible that you will face danger in this life? Is it possible that you will face a lethal weapon, what is called a sword, but in our days it could be any lethal weapon? Is it possible? As it is written, Looking back to what people who loved and followed God a long time back, this is what they were saying, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. You see, trouble, hardship, famine, nakedness, persecution, lethal, is not new. It is not unique to your generation, it is not unique, unique to your moment in time, it is not unique to your personal experience. That doesn't dismiss it. But it gives you the collective idea. And so what happened to them? Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who didn't probably love us, but who actually loved us. Here's his final attempt to prove to us once again that we are really love. Because you see, I'm convinced, he says, that neither death nor life, nothing, nothing in this world or the next, life or death, angels or demons, there is, as Peter prayed, a world we do not see that is geared against us, that, that is conspiring to make life miserable and to convince us that God doesn't fully love us. Neither the present nor the future. Nothing I've done, here's that unbelievable grace, nor anything I could do, neither present nor future, neither height nor depth. Now here's the great one. Now anything else in all of creation, 
Here's the one caveat many people will hold to does God love me eternally forever and without any probability, and it is this. I have the power to turn off the love of God coming to me. I think a lot of the, of the uh, sort of the running away from God, the, the, the losing of faith, the leaving of faith, the giving up, has to do with the unbearable heat that comes with being unconditionally and passionately loved. It's horrifying. It doesn't fit in any kind of scheme I know of. And the, the caveat is, I have the power to turn it off. And you, my friends, and me, not that powerful. We're not that strong. You are impotent against the inescapable love of God. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God loves you. Lord, thank you that you have written in our hearts, you have written in our community, and you have put down in words Pages, stories, proof that you love us. And so once again we come to you because we vacillate. And oh, we want to believe something that is, well, it just seems too good to be true. And as Peter prayed, help us believe. Oh, help us believe because what a difference it would make in our lives and our world. Amen. And so we pray, help us believe. And so God answers our prayer. From the night that he was betrayed, the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord on the night when he was betrayed by all of us, have you ever told a lie? Well, you betrayed the truth. Have you ever chosen evil? Well, you betrayed the good. Have you ever not loved? Well, you betrayed love, and love is God, and his word is Jesus. On the night that he was betrayed, the love of God, God is love, in Christ Jesus our Lord, who then shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? The love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. This is the one thing I'm asking you, do this, okay? Uh, he never said form a political action committee. He never said, um, you know, save the world. Said, do this. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my body given to you take and eat. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the covenant in my blood. The life is in the blood. Take and drink. And when did he do this? Well, at least a couple thousand years before you were born. And if you take scripture seriously, he did this from the foundation of the world. So he's saying, who, who then shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord and the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? Say, take this and eat it. So you carry it around inside of you. 
so that even if you are nailed to a tree one day and you cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You would know that you're not alone. I'm the one helping you speak that to the Father. And so you prayed, I believe, help my unbelief. He's helping your unbelief because he is your belief. He's the one who believes in his Father even within you. And so then what then shall separate you? Nothing. We would love to think that we're that powerful and, and that desire for that much power is, is, is what causes us all of our problems, I think. But how beautiful to know nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You carry him around inside of you because you're his body. So in Jesus' name, believe the gospel and live. If you're at home, we invite you to take, you know, we invite you to take one of your crackers and dip it in your little cup of wine or juice. And remember, if you're here, we invite you to come forward and um, you can take, you can grab one of those cups and then take it back to your seat, take your, your mask off and remember and commune with Jesus. Um, and then worship God. Thank him for his love. You are here in this world to see his love and he will show you he's that powerful. Amen. Our brother Paul, he began that chapter that we just concluded with these words. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Live free. Amen.